Welcome to Valley Christian Church. We hope you enjoy this message, and we would love for you to join us on Sunday mornings at 1030. We're located at 432 East Pleasant in Tulare. After listening to this message, take a moment to browse our website for current and upcoming events. It is our prayer that ultimately you learn to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Well, this morning we're going to be in John 15, 7. Jesus says to his disciples in verse 7, If you remain or abide, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I, have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he should lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants but a servant, uh, because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command. Love each other. We could just read that one more time and then go home. Some of you are going... (laughs) He would never do that. So I won't. Jesus has been with his friends at what we call the Last Supper. So he's on the other side of the temple. And with the guys, he goes, hey guys, let's go for a walk. They're done with their meal and they start coming out and, and they start walking across maybe in front of the temple area and then they go down the, the Kidron Valley and then they go, they're going back up. The, the, their goal is to get to the other side of the Garden of Gethsemane area. So they would go down and go back up. But in the middle of this walking around, they stop and he starts teaching them about, I am the true vine. And you are the branches. And the whole goal of all of this is to produce fruit. They're having a conversation. And he talks to them. And he's probably most likely, probably most likely, he's most likely in a vineyard area. Because down in the Kidron Valley, they would have all these grapes growing and all this kind of stuff. And, and, he, and he stops and he goes, you know, guys, this is me. I am the vine, and this is my father. He's, he's the guy that takes care of all these vines. And, you know, I am the true vine. I'm the rootstock. You are the branches that have been grafted in. And my father is the gardener. And everything that's done in the vineyard, the father has done. So many times we, we look at the vineyard, and we look at Jesus and the Trinity, and we think that Jesus came and did all the work. It's all about Jesus. And we sing the song, it's all about you, Jesus. It's all about you. And in many ways, that is correct. But reality is, the Lord is also a part of this. He doesn't separate himself out so much uh, in this situation. 
And what does Jesus do? He says that he came to reveal his Father. It's through his saving grace that we understand who the Father is. So he says, my father's the gardener, the orchard owner. And Jesus uses a lot of farming terms here. And I'm very glad that, that my family grew up as, as farmers. Uh, my parents lived out on the farm. So uh, when they moved to the big city of Houston and, and after they got married and have kids and, and we all grew up, as we were growing up, we would be able to go back to the farm. And I would sit on my grandfather's lap for the longest time. And then as I got older, he would actually let me steer the big tractor which is amazing. If you've ever been a kid and did that, I mean, it's just unbelievable. You know, you're just driving along, you're steering this huge tractor and all this. So I understand some of these farming things, and I'm glad that, you know, you got a good education from that. I learned a lot. These guys were farmers. They were from Galilee. They understood. And we're from a farming area, so most of you can gather some of this. Understand some of this. But Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches, and the goal of all of this is the fruit. We have to remind ourselves about this continually because we seem to always think it's about us, right? The church is here to please me. And if I'm not pleased, I'm not happy. My wife and I, we, uh, and, and Mr. B, my father-in-law, um, Don, we, we all went to breakfast yesterday morning. In the middle of conversation, I hear something from the, from the booth behind me. And it kind of caught my attention for a second, so I kind of quietened down Lisa and Mr. B for a second. And I started listening, which probably shouldn't have done, but I started listening. And this table was sitting behind me. They were talking about their church. And in some things they were talking about really good, and other things they were sitting there talking about things, and, and some of them I'm sitting there going, ooh, that's not good for that church. Some of the things that they were talking about. But I was just amazed. They just went from, from one person to another complaining about that, you know, about these different people within the church. And I just thought, how sad is this? We think it's always about us, don't we? Sometimes it is. Sometimes it is about us. Sometimes the Lord's sitting there going, I want to train you. I want to, I want to, to encourage you. I want to do all this for you. But mostly, it's about us coming and worshiping the Lord. That's what it's truly about. It is about the fruit. See, the goal of Jesus, and as the Father works in my life, no matter what season it is, whether it's time for the the planting or the cultivating or the weeding or getting rid of some of the bugs that bug me, or whether it's feeding the soil or, or taking off a few leaves or pruning, or maybe it's after the fruit, and he comes through with the knife, and he, and, he, and he cuts away different branches, and he starts, starts cutting things away. Then the harvest comes, and, and, you know, and, and he comes through after the harvest, and he totally just prunes and just chops off branches. And sometimes we like these parts that he chops off, and we're like, hey, don't, 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 don't take that. I like that part. And the father's sitting there going, yeah, but... That part's not good for you anymore. See, the purpose of all of this is to bear fruit. No sooner does he say these things, he says, it's also so you can bear more fruit. And then two verses later he says, so you can bear much more fruit. So we start to see how the pruning process helps bear more fruit every season for us. To the point where we're bearing so much fruit that will last. And this fruit that lasts is what we call eternal fruit. 
So he takes the bearing fruit thing further to a point where we focus, you know, our focus is on the eternal, which is, which is absolutely amazing. My fruit has eternal consequences. And I think the first time that, that I actually realized that, I was afraid. I'm sitting here going, no. You mean the things that I do have eternal, not just earthly things, not just family things, not just, you know, within my little, you know, group of friends, but eternal consequences, good or bad. Wow. That is amazing. You know what amazes me? That anything out of my fleshy, sinful, old self could abide in Christ and be changed so much in such a way that out of my life, something could come that could taste so sweet to somebody else. That is what's amazing. See, I don't know if you've grown up with, you know, tremendous amounts of sinning in your life or, or around a church that had a tremendous amount of sinning or, or you know, or, or a tremendous amount of Phariseeism, if you want to call that a word, where we act all churchy. Christ called those Pharisees. I don't know if you grew up in a religion or not, but when we finally figure this thing out, words like amazing come to our lips. Amazing grace. Amazing love. Because when we actually see God starting to use us to glorify himself, I mean, go figure. Think about that for a second. God using us to glorify himself. Let's have a show of hands this morning. How many of you in your flesh feel worthy to be used by God to represent him in this world that we live in? Raise your hand. See, we're all in the same boat, aren't we? Yet he still does. How many of you think that God made a wise choice in choosing you to be his ambassador? He looked around and said, yep, that person's the perfect person. I want to use that person. See, it's really weird as, as young Christians. You know, when you're a young Christian, oftentimes you, uh, times you begin to think that, you know, God is doing a pretty good job in choosing me, isn't he? I mean... I'm the perfect person, the, you know, for this place in this particular time. I'm that perfect person. I mean, look at me. God is just doing a great job in choosing me. And we began to develop this, this attitude of a Pharisee. We began to develop an attitude that I know what it's like. I know what, what it should be like. I wish everybody could be a Christian like me. And eventually, like the Apostle Paul, we kind of get knocked off our donkey, don't we? We end up on the ground, we got gravel in the back of our head, we're uh, blinded, we're helpless, we're hopeless. And the Lord starts to speak to us for the very first time. Even though we've been talking to him for years. Telling him who he is, how he is, what he is. Showing our knowledge to everybody else. What's amazing to me is in these situations, he finally says this. If you just remain in me, if you just let my words remain in you, you're going to begin to ask for things. And you're going to to begin to, to partner up with the true vine, which is Christ, in such a way that fruit starts coming out. 
And we don't take credit for that fruit because we know that, that in the earlier days of our lives, we took credit for our fruit, didn't we? We walked around and said, look, look at what I'm doing. I'm, I'm good, aren't I? Look at me. You know, then we get to a point where we say, well, you know, I want to give God the, the glory for my fruit. So, so you know, I, I'm glad you noticed it. Because, you know, it's really all about God. But, but we're also, you know, pumping ourselves up. You know, praise the Lord, brother. It's not me, but I'm glad you noticed. That's very intelligent of you to notice. See, the Lord comes along and he, he prunes or chops. And as, as, we, you know, as we start growing in the Lord, you know, we, we get to a point where we're going, you're chopping off one of my best branches. And he goes, I don't really think so. That, that branch was, was going to produce some rotten things. And the next time the branch grows out and bears some fruit, we learn not to brag so much. We learn to, to not so, you know, think so much about ourselves. And the branch starts to learn that it's not just the branch that is doing these things. See, if the branch is along, you know, around the church long enough, it begins to feel lucky. And because we're church, we don't like the words lucky. You know, that's kind of a Las Vegas word, right? So we start to use churchy words, right? Oh, I'm so blessed. Really what we mean is I'm so lucky. You feel lucky just to be included in the process. And soon, you know, you start to get this, you know, you start to feel that feeling, that, that first, you know, taste of real sweetness in your life. Even if you've been following God for years, when the Holy Spirit gets a hold of you, when you start to produce fruit, it's sweet. And once that fruit starts coming out of you, it's just amazing. And you start abiding in Him and you start staying put. That's what remaining means. That's what abiding means. It means to stay put. And his word starts to remain in you. Now let's talk about that for a minute. What is his word that is supposed to be remaining in you? What is that? It's what you think it is. We're back to Sunday school answers. Everybody said it once. The? Thank you. The Bible. Now let me give you a little warning. If anyone ever calls you or grabs you, and they say to you, I have a word for you. I mean... I have a word for you. Has this ever happened to you? Growing up around church, I, you know, it happens ever so often. You know, sometimes that word can be really, really cool. And sometimes the word is, is totally off. Even if it comes from a really spiritual person. Because, you know, they're just, oftentimes they're just trying to, to exercise their own gifting. And sometimes they go about it in the, in the wrong way. But what you need to do is this. If somebody has a word for you, and it, you know, it probably uh, should sound exactly like this. The Bible should sound exactly like the Bible. The most powerful way to give somebody, you know, you, say you've been praying or say you've been reading and, and the Lord just puts somebody on your, on your heart. Somebody you're sitting there going, man, this, this would be really good for them. The most powerful way to help them out is to say, you know, today I was praying or I was reading and I was thinking about you as I was going through the book, to, the book of Ruth or, you know, whatever, whatever it was. And you can say, you might want to read that. I, I don't know why. The, the Spirit put that upon me to tell you to read that. Now, don't go to him and say, okay, you need to read Ruth chapter 2, verse 7. Don't do that. Because then you're acting like the Holy Spirit. Because maybe what the Holy Spirit was telling you at that moment is different from what he wants to tell so-and-so that he's impressing upon you to go talk to. That's the way you do it. Allow the Holy Spirit to direct you in that. Now, the flip side of this is, 
Are you a person that continually goes to other people and says, I need your help? You're, you're a little more mature. Hey, that's a good thing to recognize because people are in different parts of their life, different, um, different parts of the journey as we all go toward Christ. Some are more mature. Let's be honest. We can, we can say that. It's not a judgment. That's just the way it is. That's somebody you look at and say, I want to be like that. So you start emulating them. Paul was like this. He said, follow me as I follow Christ because I'm going to point you toward Christ because it's not about Paul. But if you continually go to others, we are purposely staying immature. We never grow. We're like a child. Can you do this for me? And it comes to a point where the, the, you know, they need to learn how to tie their own shoe. I mean, come on, the kid's in fifth grade. Teach him how to tie his own shoe. So if we keep going to others, we never learn how to tie our own shoe or mature. Now what the Lord expects from us is, as we abide is to study in his word constantly. And what happens most of the time is we become too ambitious. We start to think, okay, I need to get into his word. You know, maybe, maybe out of guilt or maybe the Holy Spirit's impressing upon us. Hey, I, I want a better relationship, so, so come on, get into my word. You know, whatever way it happens. But we get a little too ambitious. And, and what, do we, what do we do? We, we start out with Genesis. And by the time we get to, to, to Leviticus or Deuteronomy, you're not going to finish. No, start out with a small book. Take a book like Ruth. Take a, a book like Jonah. Take a book like First John. Start out small, and then when you finish that, go to a little larger book, and then go to a little larger book. You know, maybe the first time it's just reading it. Maybe the second time it's reading it going, okay, let me take some notes. Maybe the third time it's reading the same book and going, wow, I didn't see this the first two times that I read this. But you've got to start out small in that. So the Lord intends our relationship to be like our relationship with food and water. The more we eat, the more we grow. Now, I'm not going to go further on that one. But the Lord just hooks us in when we start to study His Word. And what, what, you know, what's amazing here, and we can't really do anything about it, is the Lord lets us think that we really choose Him. And then we get to John 15 in our lives, and, and He says, By the way, I choose you. I grafted you in. So there's this whole relationship where He's sitting there going, My Spirit's in you, and He's been tugging all along to pull you in here, to, to hook you into this, to graft you in to my kingdom. And I want you to produce fruit. And here's why I choose you. Not because you represent me the best. And some of you represent God really well. But it's not because of that. Not because of all these natural abilities that you just have that just overwhelm everybody else because you're just so naturally talented. No, that's not why. It's because, you know, the the Bible says that all things in Him are already complete. He didn't say, I needed you because my body, the, the, the family, lacked this piece. No, He's already complete. I chose you because you are the least likely candidate to do what I'm about to do. I chose you to to be an inspiration to everybody else, to everybody else so they can say, man, if God chose them, if God chose him, then surely he can use me. If God chose her, that means God can truly use me also. You know the, the number one way that people can truly give other people hope is when they feel so absolutely inadequate to be used by God. Doesn't that just build your ego? I'm totally inadequate, God. Now use me. See, God wants 
to use us through our inadequacy. That way we don't get to end up with the glory. I don't want a big stage. We were talking, uh, uh, I was talking with somebody before church, and, and he was talking about a church that at one point they wanted to gather up money or sell part of the facility so they could make a statue for the former pastor. I don't want a statue. How could anybody really want to do that? We can honor those that have gone before us, but a statue, come on. One of the great things about when you've been in ministry as long as I have, you start to learn how to take a background role in certain things. And there's times when, when, when I was working with college students and stuff that, you know, I'm kind of in that mentorship role with them. And in the middle of them totally being used by God, they come to you and say, man, I feel so inadequate right now. And I wanted to go, welcome to the club. But instead, in my spiritualness, I say, let's pray to God about your inadequacy. Usually what happens is that person just mentors and, and, and ministers mightily out of their own inadequacy because they start to rely on God. Now, relying on God too much can actually hurt you. I see any heads pop up on this one? Let me say that again, and then I'm going to explain what I mean. Sometimes relying on God too much can actually hurt you. Now, let me explain that before you start flipping through scriptures and go, I'm going to prove you wrong. Because if you only take that little statement, yes, you can prove me wrong. But there are times when the Lord totally covers for us. Lord, I didn't study for this test. Can you help me out here? Lord, I, I didn't study for this lesson with the, with, the, with the children or the youth. Can, can you allow your Holy Spirit to teach these guys? But if we do this too often, eventually the Lord will get tired of this, tired of you not wanting to mature, you not willing to mature, and allow, allow you to fall flat on your face. I don't like it when the Lord does that to me. He's done it before. Because he says in verse 7, If you remain in me, and my words remain in you. And what that means is that we, we have to dig, you know, digest the word of God. Constantly. Just as much as we do with food. You know, what's, what's kind of interesting is, a few of us in this room used to be you know, two time a year church goers, Christmas and Easter, because that's what you do on Christmas and Easter, right? You go celebrate with family and you go to church. And then we added Mother's Day, maybe Father's Day, and we thought, wow, I'm really growing it. And, and you are growing at that point because, hey, you know, four or three is better than two or one, right? But what starts happening with some of us? and it has happened with some of us here, is the Spirit gets a hold of us all of a sudden. And we find ourselves coming more often. And then we join the ladies' group and, and, or the men's group, or, or you know, we start getting involved in relationships, and next thing you know, you're finding yourself signing up for secret sisters, and you spend the next eight months trying to figure out who is everybody else's secret sister, right? For some of us, that, that's what's happened. Okay, well, not me, not a secret sister thing, but you know what I'm saying. Or for the guys, you start helping out with certain projects or serving, you know, in different areas of the church. And you finally turn, uh, turn around and you find yourself in the middle of fellowship. Now, here's how not to keep friends at church. You keep everything on the, hi, how are you doing stage? And you just say, hi, how are you doing? And then next Sunday you say, hi, how are you doing? And next Sunday you say, hi, how are you doing? And you never develop stronger relationships than that. But when we start to develop stronger relationships, 
When we start hanging out with the heart ministry and doing different events where we start loving, laughing, and playing together, we find ourselves with new friends. And then we get to, to a point where we finally start talking to our new friends about what is actually happening, what's going on in our lives, the good things and the difficult things, and sometimes the really bad things. And you start developing these, these meteor relationships, these deeper relationships. And you might even find yourself praying with one another about it. So don't be satisfied with only getting meat once a week. Don't be satisfied with, with just, okay, well, I sort of remain because I remain on Sundays. No, we've got to get involved. We've got to get in, in, involved in the Word. Now, sometimes that translates into involved in activities. But we've got to be in the Word. We've got to remain there. Let me encourage you in this. Because if you do this, you'll find yourself to a point where, where you're maturing and you don't find yourself calling your more mature friend that often. To go, what do I do in this situation? Because then you find yourself going, you know what? I think I know what to do in this situation because the Holy Spirit is talking to me. God is teaching me what to do in these middle of these situations. We start finding ourselves there. And as you drink the Word, it washes you and nourishes you, just like when you eat and drink. I want to encourage you to, to look at the Word like you do food. When you sit down and you eat, it's like coming to church on Sunday morning. But you have to learn how to be snackers. I'm a snacker. I know, you can't tell. I like to snack. I found this new ice cream. Oh, man. You just have to have some. You start craving it, don't you? Then we find ourselves, you know, having meals on our own. We're sitting down and reading the Word by ourselves. That's why you got to look at the Word like you do food. Now, the Lord never wants you to get bored with this. Because when those followers get bored with the Word of God, they stop abiding in Him. And when you stop abiding in God, what happens? You find yourself floating away. You find yourself in the middle of counterfeit things in your life that can rob you of a true relationship with Him. The true dependence on the vine of Jesus, which affects what? What Jesus is trying to teach His disciples here. It affects the fruit. So you need to be careful to, to be, you know, stay fed by the Word. And, because when you do, your prayers become more powerful. And we're going to talk about that in a second. But you know, what happens is when they open the mouth, they used to say, Lord, man, I, I really need a new car. My car, uh, I need a new car. It's costing me too much. I need that. Or Lord, I need a new relationship. Or Lord, I really need a raise. Or, 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 or you know, get me out, out from underneath that boss. And you know, sometimes those prayers are important and good. But sometimes we start finding ourselves praying for the same things that Jesus would pray for. And guess what happens when we start praying for the same things that Jesus would pray for? They start coming true. They start happening. And then others will, will look at you and say, how come you're getting your prayers answered? And of course we answer, well, to me be the glory. No, we say to God be the glory. Because now you get it. And you begin to, to disciple and you begin to lead. You start opening up your home or your office. Start opening up your life. Because you want others to see what God is doing in your life. And you start producing fruit. Now verse 7, it goes on. It says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory. 
See that in verse 8? You almost hear the Apostle Peter thinking, Lord, we already are your disciples. Or maybe he's just a little off balance because the Lord told him earlier, hey, you're going to deny me tonight. Before the rooster crows three times, you're going to deny me three times. So maybe he decided to be quiet for once. But Jesus said, if you do this, you will be my disciple. So you can see how it would be hard for them to say what? Lord, I mean, we've been with you three and a half years. We're already your disciples. We have these shirts that say, original disciple, AD 227. We're the closest thing you have to disciples. So you better, I mean, Lord, you're, you're kind of stuck with us. Hello? Hello, Lord? Have you ever prayed like this trying to get God's attention? Hello? Are you out there? I already know what you're trying to teach me right now, Lord. Come on, can't we just move on? And he says, you will be my disciples. Well, this is really cool because Jesus is continually defining what a Christian, what we call a Christian. Now, Christians were not called Christians until later on. In fact, not until, you know, the time that the Christianity, well, I say Christianity, not until the time of, of the way, as it used to be called, or the brethren, or all these different words, got to Antioch, and then it spread. But it really, the word started in Antioch. This was long after Christ was crucified, long after Paul was, uh, you know, became a Christian. Because the people, you know, who hated them in Antioch came up with this derogatory nickname. It was called Little Christ. So they would be teaching, you know, in the synagogue or on the street corner, and, and people would walk by and they would just go, Man, I ran into those Little Christ today. And it was a very negative turn. Can you, uh, term. Can you believe it? I mean, they just drive me nuts. They just drive me crazy. Others would say, Little Christ, what do you mean? And they would go, well, there was this guy named, named Christ, and he was killed about 40 years ago, and, the, and they, they believe he rose from the grave. I mean, this was the attitude, and, you know, how dumb is this? This is the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. They would, you know, those are the type of things that they would think and say. So in Antioch, you know, they started calling them Little Christ, and this kind of spread all over the world from there. Now, I know it's hard to understand this attitude like that, especially in today's day and age of tolerance, but you know, leave it to religions now to formalize something that everybody uses a derogatory name and turn it around. And that's what we're called today. Now, the further away you got from Antioch for a while, they, you know, they were called other things. Disciples of Jesus, followers of the way, servants of Christ, friends of Jesus. All the same thing, just different labels. Now, as you know, you can't give yourself your own nickname, right? Have you ever tried that? Try to give yourself your own nickname? Oh, you call me this, call me It never works unless you go to a new town and no one knows you. Usually you do something, I want to say dumb, but that's not always true. Usually you do something to get your nickname, right? But back then, they, you know, they were called all sorts of things. But what stuck was little Christ or Christians. But Jesus says to them that you should bear much fruit showing yourselves to be my disciples. What Jesus is saying here is this. Guys, on a night like tonight, remember where they are. They're walking over to the Garden of Gethsemane. We're getting toward the end right before he's crucified. I just want to tell you, I know you want to serve me, but I'm also your friend. 
as we read in the, the other verses that we're not going to cover today, is he also starts talking about friendship. Unlike any other religion in the world, he, sell, he tells them, I am your friend. We have a true God that comes to serve. And these guys are more than just disciples. They're friends. The Lord is so gracious and so merciful. These guys, you know, they, they, did, not, uh, they did not serve one another earlier in the evening. Do you remember they, Jesus had to wash their feet? They, they chose not to wash each other's feet. But the great thing is here is that he not only observes the now, but he also knows the future. He's already observed the past, but he's already looking toward their future. And he says, you guys are my friends. And it's a beautiful thing that Jesus speaks to us this way. So many of us have grown up... Uh, not thinking he could ever talk to us this way. Not thinking that, that Christ could have a personal relationship because religion's been so formalized. You have to act a certain way. You've got to talk a certain way. You've got to dress a certain way. We, we, we do the service a certain way. We just do these things. This is the way to do it. Why? Because of our tradition. Some of those traditions are very good and healthy traditions. Don't get me wrong. Okay? But some of them get in the way of our relationship with him. He was the master. We were the slave. We weren't the friend. And he said, you're now my friends. Jesus looks into our, be- uh, our future and sees beautiful stuff. I look into my future, I see some of the same old Alan. And I say, Lord, when, I, when am I ever going to learn this lesson? When am I ever going to learn this particular thing? How many times are, you know, do I have to learn the same lesson here, Lord? And he's like, shh. I'm glad you're talking like that because just by you talking like that, that's part of your repentance. And I want you to abide in me and bear the fruit of that repentance. Fruit that will last. Fruit that will last. Well, one more thought and then we're we're out of time. Let me go on to verse 9. It says, verse 9 and 10, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. So have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I obeyed my Father's commands and remain in His love. Now let me give you a real, you know, real simple secret of Bible study. It is one that, that, that I use a lot, especially in the books of, of John and sometimes in the books of Paul. You know, John writes like five books, and, and all five of his books are the same way, a little bit in Revelations, but not too much. By the time that John is done, he has an incredible tapestry called the book of John. And what he does is he takes these little strings and he just twists them all up. So here we go. Verse 9, he says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. Now did you catch the repeat of words there? Commands was twice. Father or his was three times. You was three times. Abide was three times. Love was five times. And me or I was six times. So then you've got to start thinking about it like this. What is the most important part of that verse? Or those two verses put together, that thought there? Well, me or I, which is Jesus. Okay, so this is about Jesus. Second, love. So this is about Jesus' 
love. So you sit with that, and you don't move on. You kind of sit still, and you think about that. This is really and truly about Jesus' love. Then you, or I, or, or you and, and, and remain, comes three times. So Jesus says, I love when you remain. And this is a part of the Bible study that I like. Because Jesus, you know, it's, it sounds like this. I love you, Alan. And I say, well, I love you too, Jesus. And he says, the way you prove, the way you prove that is to remain. What is remaining or abiding? It is you, Alan. It's you obeying my commands. So you see how that kind of weaves together and and tracks together? You know, so often we read the word and we just go, we kind of blast right through it. Because our goal is to get to the end of the book. Our goal is to go fast. We can't cover one verse or maybe three words a sermon. I mean, come on, it'd take forever. But the words is what's important. It's not about reading and knowing. It's about us putting this into action. This is why it takes so long to get through the book of John. I don't know, we're what, 31 weeks? Probably got another 10 or 12. Don't look at how many... Books, I mean, how many chapters there are, just leave that alone. Because I get stuck on the meaning of Jesus' words. I could go back and reteach everything I just covered and probably not repeat one thought that I just went over. That's how his words impact you know us. That's how his words impact us as individuals, as a group. It's because it's so deep. Because the Word of God is so powerful. And if we learn to abide in it, to remain in it, to be with it then when we ask for something, we'll bear fruit because we'll be asking for the same things. Our fruit will glorify the Father. Now that's amazing. Our fruit will glorify the Father. That something would come out of me that has an eternal impact for Him. That's what fruit is. I could have just said that and we'd be done with it, huh? Let's pray. Lord, sometimes we complicate life so much. We get bogged down in all the relationships. We get bogged down in he said or she said or how I feel. And so often you're just saying, come on, just, just remain in me. Act like me. Share me to this world that needs it. And you're so happy when we finally turn around and we say, use me, Lord. And then you say, okay. Let me prune this. Let me take this. Let me mold you. Let me graft you in. Let me do this with you. And when we say yes, it's an amazing trip. It's an amazing relationship and journey. I pray, Lord, for those that are out there sitting there going, I want that relationship. I want my, my, the beginning of my relationship with Jesus to go even further so I'm producing fruit in my life. I pray that you show them the way that you allow others to point toward you and your word, that they may go there, that they may start out small and slowly build up, Lord. I'm so thankful that you have chosen to use people like me and those sitting here to have eternal, eternal consequences or eternal things happen in their life that affect the kingdom. It amazes me, Lord. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. 
the Lord's face shine down upon you. May his fruit just overflow in your life. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.